Um, let's get our Bibles out and turn to two kings and have a look at um, today's passage. It's two kings, chapter 20, the whole chapter, I think. And it's on page 392, if you've got a um, church Bible in your hand. This is what it says. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, this is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you are going to die. You will not recover. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Before Isaiah had left the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him. Go back and tell Hezekiah, the ruler of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. From the th on the third day from now, you will go up to the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life and I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. Then Isaiah said, prepare a poultice of figs. They did so and applied it to the boil and he recovered. Hezekiah had asked Isaiah, what will be the sign that the Lord will heal me and that I will go up to the temple of the Lord on the third day from now? Hezekiah answered, this is the Lord's sign to you that the Lord will do what he has promised. Shall the shadow go forward 10 steps or shall it go back 10 steps? It is a simple matter for the shadow to go forward 10 steps, said Hezekiah. Rather, let it go back 10 steps. Then the prophet Isaiah called on the Lord and the Lord made the shadow go back the 10 steps it had gone down on the stairway of Ahaz. At that time, Marduk Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent Hezekiah letters and a gift because he had heard of Hezekiah's illness. Hezekiah received the envoys and showed them all that was in his storehouses, the silver, the gold, the spices and the fine oil, his armory and everything found among his treasures. There was nothing in his palace or in all his kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and said and asked, what did those men say and where did they come from? From a distant land, Hezekiah replied, they came from Babylon. The prophet asked, what did they see in your palace? They saw everything in my palace, Hezekiah said, there is nothing among my treasures that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors has stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood who will be born to you will be taken away and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. The word of the Lord you've spoken is good, Hezekiah replied, for he thought, will there not be peace and security in my lifetime? As for the other events of Hezekiah's reign, all his achievements and how he made the pool and the tunnel by which he brought water into the city, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Judah? Hezekiah rested with his ancestors and Manasseh, his son, succeeded him as king. Good evening. I'm going to try really hard not to look in this general direction, see uh, Joel's face for the sake of 
saving uh, myself with the football scores. But that aside, I'll try and focus on, on this bit of the room. Thankfully, he's in the corner. Uh, but it'd be good tonight to get your Bibles open, if you got it, to uh, 1 Kings chapter 20 and this uh, great chapter, this great story. Now, as I start, I don't know how much you know about art. I know so little about art, but I did learn a, a new word this week, uh, and that word is diptych. Now, a diptych, according to Wikipedia, is when you have uh, two panels that are kind of showing um, kind of like two different perspectives on the same thing, or at least that's what that's what I, I think it is. Uh, so here you can kind of see there's there's one lighthouse. Uh, I think that's a lighthouse, and you kind of get two different perspectives on it. So you've got a kind of stormy side on the left there, and a nice kind of sunny side, and it all looks very happy uh, on the other side. Um, or the next one, Luke, is um, this is Marilyn Monroe by Andy Warhol, and as you can see on the left hand side, a kind of nice colourful picture. And on the other side, there's a kind of a washed out black and white uh, set of pictures. Uh, now, the reason I am giving you this art lecture tonight is because uh, our passage is kind of like that. It's kind of uh, got two different stories and they're kind of like two different perspectives on this guy, King Hezekiah. They give us two different contrasting portraits on him. They tell us two different things about him and actually about his heart, what he, what he longs for, what he loves. Um, they're a real insight into uh, the man that we've been looking at for the last uh, few weeks. Uh, so just a quick uh, recap of where we've been up to. We've been uh, having a look at this guy Hezekiah in the book of uh, Two Kings, and we've already seen him as he's been engaging with the Assyrians, uh, these uh, terrible army. They did vicious stuff, uh, and they've already swept down uh, throughout the, the northern kingdom in uh, yeah, with the ten tribes, and they've obliterated them, they've, they've smashed them up, uh, done terrible things uh, to the northern tribes. Uh, and they've, all, they've come down even further than that into the southern kingdom of Judah with the two tribes. And it says they've uh, surrounded Jerusalem, they've captured all the fortified cities, as it says in chapter 18. All the fortified cities of Judah, he's captured them. So terrible news for um, the people in Israel and for the people in Judah. They're both in a horrible situation with this invading army. And Hezekiah was in a desperate spot. He doesn't know what to do. So he tries to pay off the Assyrians and kind of bribe them almost with gold from the temple. And he, uh, he strips the, the gold from the doors and doorposts of the temple of the Lord. This kind of magnificent building. But he's, he's just trying to do anything he can to keep the, um, the Assyrians at bay. Uh, but it doesn't work. And they're surrounding Jerusalem now, about to besiege it. Um, and they kind of engage in, in a propaganda battle. That's what we looked at. Um, last, last couple of weeks and they kind of they're shouting from the outskirts to the people inside and they say do not listen to Hezekiah for he's misleading you and he says the Lord will deliver us has the God of any nation ever delivered his land from the hand of the king of Assyria in other words don't even bother to fight us we're going to win we've smashed up all these other peoples who destroyed all these cities give up your armies tiny your absolute cannon fodder frankly we're gonna we're gonna destroy you and Hezekiah knows this, he's not stupid, and he knows that he needs the Lord's help, the God of Israel. And so there's this wonderful prayer we looked at uh, in uh, chapter 19 last week, where he gets this letter from the Assyrians saying all this terrible stuff, and he just brings it to the Lord, he lays it before him, and he says, God, I cannot do this by myself, I need you, you are the great God, you can do all things. And so he pleads with God, God, please intervene and deal with these Assyrians. 
and miraculously, as we looked at last week, the Assyrian army are destroyed. And uh, the king is killed by his own sons in chapters 1935. Uh, and uh, God's people are vindicated, they're saved. And it's amazing stuff, amazing testimony to God and what God can do. And also to the faith of this guy, Hezekiah, he's a really godly guy who looks to God and says, God, you alone can do this thing. And now we get to chapter 20 and these two different portraits of a king. One thing just to have in your mind as we look at this, these events probably took place before all that stuff. So probably just at the start uh, of um, the kind of Assyrian invasion. So that's very much in, in Hezekiah's mind as he uh, is um, yeah, kind of interacting in this way. So uh, chapter 20 and verse one says, in those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, this is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you are going to die. You will not recover. So poor Hezekiah is on his deathbed. He's only about 39 years old at this point. He's, he's, he's not very old, but he's got a skin infection. And Isaiah says, it is fatal. He doesn't really have a very good bedside manner, does he, Isaiah? He's, he's pretty brutal with how he says it, but he does tell the truth. He says, this, this is fatal. This, you're not going to recover from this. What does Hezekiah do in response to these things? Well, again, like we've seen in the last few chapters, he acts in faith. He says he turned his face to the wall. He kind of withdrew from people and he prayed to the Lord. Just as he does when the Assyrians are looking threatening, when he's faced with these trials, and these difficult things, he gets on his knees and he prays to God. And God hears his prayer, doesn't he? In fact, Isaiah's not even left the building before God tells him to go back. I've got a response for you, an immediate answer to Hezekiah's prayer. And this is uh, what the Lord says in verse five. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. On the third day from now, you will go up to the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life and I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. What an amazing blessing he gives, doesn't he? he uh, Hezekiah goes from being in sickness to being healthy and from weeping to worship that's what the promise is he goes from being on his deathbed to 15 more years of life so god responds in excessive mercy did you notice he doesn't just promise to heal him he doesn't say okay i'll make you better then but he goes above and beyond that and he gives hezekiah uh, blessings for the whole nation. He says, uh, I'm going to give you victory over your enemies, the Assyrians. So there's uh, not just blessing for your current situation now, but I'm going to go above and beyond that and bless you even more than what you asked for. And I'm going to rescue you from the Assyrians. And God tells us that the reason he does this is for his own glory, for God's glory, which means it's an, it's an unconditional promise to bless Hezekiah because that is who God is. God's acting out of his own character. God is a God who blesses, who is merciful. That's, that's who he is. And to us, I'm going to bless you in this way. I'm going to heal you. And I'm even going to save you from this Assyrian army. What an awesome God. He goes above and beyond. He answers Hezekiah's prayer in his deepest need. 
and he gives in abundance. Well, verse 7 tells us that Isaiah goes about enacting this healing. So he gets a kind of clump of figs and he sticks it on the, uh, the boil or whatever it was that um, Hezekiah uh, had a problem with. Uh, it did seems like this healing didn't work straight away. So you might remember in the gospel, sometimes Jesus heals someone and it's kind of instantaneous. And sometimes he heals someone and it kind of takes a while, maybe uh, takes a few hours or something. And, and in this case, it's, it's one of those where uh, it takes three days for the healing to kind of to work uh, and, and for Hezekiah to return to health. But Hezekiah is, wants to know ahead of time. He doesn't want to wait the three days. He wants to know ahead. Um, well, how do I know this healing is going to work? Because so far you just stuck a lot of figs on my neck. So is this going to work? Well, I want a sign from you, Isaiah. I want to know whether this is going to work. Um, we didn't really know why he's actually asking this. I mean, maybe he is just really desperate to be back in the temple worshiping God, and he's really excited to be well again and worshiping. Or, or maybe, and I suspect that's what it really is. He's he's just being a bit slow to believe God's promise. Or whatever the reason, he asks for this sign, and Isaiah um, very generously, really, gives him a choice of miracles. You can kind of take your pick. And there seemed to be a kind of staircase somewhere um, off the palace. Uh, and you can imagine on the staircase with a kind of railing or something on the side of it. And there's a kind of shadow cast onto the steps. Uh, and you can kind of imagine the sun, as the sun goes down, the shadows get longer. Uh, and uh, Isaiah says, well, either I can make it so the shadow kind of lengthens instantaneously and you get kind of forward in time really quickly, or I can make it so the shadows shrink and you kind of go back in time and Hezekiah thinks well that seems like the harder option so I want to be really confident so I'm going to ask you to um, bring the shadows back um, uh, up the stairs uh, and that is no problem for God who um, put the sun in the sky in the first place and somehow he didn't know how he did it but he God moves the shadow back along the steps kind of the shadow uh, shrinks um, almost like going backwards in time that's worth saying that God didn't need to do that did he he could have said take me at my word I've just said I'm going to heal you but he doesn't he gives Hezekiah this sign this miracle it's another act of mercy isn't it Hezekiah is um he's not perfect is he <laughs> but he does give us I think a really good example of how do we respond in a difficult situation how do we respond to bad news when circumstances just aren't going our way, when it seems that that's not how we thought life would go. Or maybe just like Hezekiah, when we get bad news about our health or about the, the health of a loved one, how do, we, how do we respond to that? What do we do? Well, I think Hezekiah's response of instinctive prayerfulness of before he does anything else, before he talks to anyone, uh, before he consults advisors or anything, he just gets on his knees. And he pours out his heart to the Lord and says, Lord, you alone can heal me. And his, his prayer is not complicated, is it? It's a very simple prayer. It's just a cry for help, really. What a wonderful habit that is when we're in desperate situations, just to call out, Lord, help. I think that's a wonderful example. And just like his prayer in the previous chapter, it reveals that he, he knows that God alone can save him. He needs God to do this and act in mercy as he does. We have a very generous God, don't we? A very kind God who always hears our prayer. And sometimes he doesn't uh, answer those prayers in the way that we would like. Um, 
But we do know that God always acts according to his own glory, which means God always does what is ultimately right and good. And even if we can't understand why God is doing something at a particular moment, we know that God is always working for good. And, and even uh, as Romans 8, which we read at the start, says for our good and God will use all things for our good. What a, a wonderful uh, God we have. I think that's so encouraging. So the, the picture here of Hezekiah is of a man who is walking by faith, isn't it? He, he puts what he knows about God in his head into practice in his life and he, and he lives out his faith. But unfortunately, the next portrait we have of him does not paint him in such a positive light. So verse 12, at that time, Marduk Baladan, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent Hezekiah letters and a gift because he had heard of Hezekiah's illness. Now, quick history lesson, this guy Marduk Baladan uh, was a pretty important guy in Babylon. He was kind of the, the, the prince uh, and he was a very shrewd political operator. He was very clever uh, and he'd already achieved some significant uh, success. So Assyria, remember, are still the, the big power on the world scene. They're the kind of um, the alphas, the ones to be scared of. They're a massive empire. They've swept through much of uh, what is now the Middle East, and they've um, come down all the way to Jerusalem. But Babylon are the kind of up-and-coming powers, and they're going to be, over the next few generations, they're going to become um, the, the big people on the scene. And so Marduk Baladan has ambitions, not just of being the next king of Babylon, but actually to take over um, a huge empire. Um, and history tells us the Babylonians would indeed take on a massive empire, uh, not too soon. And it appears that this guy, Marduk Baladan, has come to Jerusalem to check out King Hezekiah to see whether he'd be a good ally for him or whether he's someone to smash and destroy and stamp out. So as he's coming to Jerusalem, don't think he's there for kind of flowers and a get well card. He's there to do something very nefarious. He's doing some spying, really. Uh, and he's uh, got very... Uh, Mixed motives at best, shall we say. Well, how's King Hezekiah going to respond to this? He's got a few options, a few things he could do. Uh, for one thing, he could do as he's done in the previous uh, few chapters, and he could get on his knees and say, God, what do I do here? I want wisdom. How shall I respond to this in the right way? Or he could uh, phone up uh, Isaiah, his kind of friendly prophet, and say, uh, Isaiah, speak wisdom in this situation. What, what, what do you think God says I should do here? But unfortunately, Hezekiah uh, does not do either of those things because he thinks he can do it by himself. And his heart is revealed by his response. Verse 13, Hezekiah received the envoys and showed them all that was in his storehouses, the silver, the gold, the spices, the fine olive oil, his armory, and everything found among his treasures. There was nothing in his palace or in all his kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. Hezekiah's done something very foolish. And we know this because if we look uh, back at that uh, verse, we can uh, count how many times he uses the word mine or his in this case as uh, his storehouses and his armory and, and his treasures. So Hezekiah seems uh, pretty delighted that these bigwigs from Babylon have come over from these distant lands to see him. He's very excited. They've come 
come to see me. He, he's almost kind of excited puppy about this and oh, they're here to see all my stuff and look at all my things. Very different to the man in the previous section, wasn't it? Who, who prays instinctively and looks to the Lord. His big problem here is pride, isn't it? He's become focused on himself instead of the Lord. God has done so much to bless him. We've just seen he's literally healed him from the point of death. And yet he seems to have forgotten about that. And he's just focused on himself. Well, Isaiah gets wind of this somehow and uh, he shows up and he is not impressed. So he goes over to confront King Hezekiah. Hezekiah, for his part, is still completely oblivious to uh, his stupid error. Uh, he's still absolutely delighted that these guys from Babylon have come to see him. He says, there is nothing among my treasures. I did not show them. Kind of very proud and smug. But Isaiah's response is absolutely damning, isn't it? This shocking piece of bad news. Verse 17, he says, the time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord, and some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you, will be taken away, and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Just as you've been showing off all your stuff, Hezekiah, so proud of all your possessions and all your things, they're all going to go. They're going to end up in Babylon. And it gets worse. Not only your stuff but also your possessions as well and your sons are going to become slaves to the Babylonian emperor and actually the long road to uh, Babylonian exile starts here Isaiah says which really is the end of the Old Testament it, this is the beginning of the end here it's a pivotal moment you are going to end up in Babylon and you know when God says something it always comes true and in fact we can read about this the end of the book of jeremiah now jeremiah is described as a the weeping prophet because he's weeping over jerusalem and the destruction of jerusalem and he ends his book uh, in chapters uh, 52 of of the account of the babylonian conquest so this took place 115 years after the events here in two kings he says in the ninth year of zedekiah's reign on the 10th day of the 10th month Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched against Jerusalem with his whole army. They encamped outside the city and built siege works all around it. The city was kept under siege until the 11th year of King Zedekiah. So two years, the city surrounded. No one comes in or out. And so the people are slowly starving to death inside. Two years. But the, by the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine in the city had become so severe that there was no food for the people to eat. The city wall was broken through and the whole army fled. They left the city at night through the gate between the two walls near the king's garden. Though the Babylonians were surrounding the city, they fled towards Arabah, but the Babylonian army pursued King Zedekiah and overtook him in the plains of Jericho. All his soldiers were separated from him and scattered and he was captured. That Zedekiah is just uh, seven generations removed from our guy Hezekiah. So in just a few generations time, Isaiah's words will come true that they would end up 
be in exile. What's Hezekiah's response to this terrible piece of bad news? Well, again, it reveals that he's only thinking of himself here. So verse 19, the word of the Lord you had spoken is good, he says. But he thought, will there not be peace and security in my lifetime? He's completely lost sight of the fact he's meant to be God's king and he's ruling over God's people. He's got this incredibly privileged role, but he's made it all about himself, hasn't he? Hezekiah reminds me quite a lot of uh, King Solomon. Uh, you might remember King Solomon. He's uh, uh, the start of one kings. He's regarded as the wisest man uh, in the whole world, it says. He's got this gift of wisdom from God. And God blesses him with loads of stuff. He entrusts him with building the temple. And Solomon builds this majestic temple uh, for worshipping the Lord. And in fact, Solomon gets it right when um, some visiting um, guys from other countries come and come to see him. Uh, so the Queen of Sheba arrives and uh, Solomon, as he's kind of showing her around, he, he, he must make it clear that all this stuff that he's got is actually from God. Because she goes away thinking uh, not how great is Solomon so much, but how great is the Lord, the God of Israel. So he understands that that was actually what Israel was supposed to be. They're supposed to be a light to the nations. They were supposed to be a place for people to come and see, oh, God is good. I want to worship the God of Israel. That, that's kind of the whole point. But Solomon's not perfect either, is he? And we know that towards the end of his life, he marries 700 women and then takes 300 concubines in case that wasn't enough women for him. And he completely loses sight of God, doesn't he? And in fact, this is the story we keep getting in the book of Kings. Every single king that we see, no matter how good they are, and some of them do some really good stuff, uh, how much they kind of tear down idols and um, yeah, do much to worship God, all of them are seriously flawed. So King David, he's a great king in many ways, but he's a terrible husband. He's a rubbish father. And King Solomon becomes half-hearted um, in his older years as uh, all these uh, foreign wives lead him astray. And Hezekiah, our guy tonight, he, he, he does much good, but he's proud, isn't he? And, he? and he's foolish in his heart. And at the end of every king in this book, we get words like this, um, like at the end of ours. It says, Hezekiah rested with his ancestors and Manasseh, his son, succeeded him as king. He lived. And he died. And it's like the writer of Kings is saying, yeah, he's good, but he's not the one. He, he's not the, the perfect king that we're really looking forward to. The great saviour that we're excited about. And in fact, the problem with, with Kings, not, not just in, in this and the book of Kings, but, but actually with Kings in general, we look at world leaders at the moment. They're uh, men with a lot of power and we as human beings are designed to be worshippers of God, not worshippers of ourselves. And so when we have all this power, there's always going to be this temptation for self-worship, for pride, for, for self-centeredness. And that's why we see so much abuse occurring in the hands of wicked men and, and, and amongst world leaders. They think of Vladimir Putin doing awful things in Ukraine. Or even uh, recently, really sad uh, stories of uh, Christian leaders or leaders in Christian churches uh, doing some uh, bad things they shouldn't do. Because power and success 
can be absolutely destructive, can't they? Which is ultimately why it is amazing news that the only one in the whole universe with total power, total absolute authority, is also the one who is the most gentle and generous and humble and kind, the, the one who is the most self-sacrificial. His words from Philippians 2, Jesus, who being in very nature God, ultimate power, absolute authority to do whatever he wants, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Jesus had more reason than anyone else to use his power for personal gains, to, to be self-serving. But that's not what Jesus does, is it? He gives up his rights. He gives up um, all the things that could be his in glory, and he's humbled. He comes down from heaven to earth, and then he's humbled as he becomes a man, and he's humbled as he takes on death, even death on a cross. And even when he's tempted in the garden to, to kind of take the easy way out, but he says, not my will, but yours be done. I don't want to do what I want to do. I want to do what is God's will. How does our King Hezekiah stack up in comparison to that? Well, clearly he is a really good king and, and the, the writer of Kings says uh, good stuff about him. He says there was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. Hezekiah is usually really good. He's, he's prayerful and he's mostly wise. He's, he's mostly humble. And, and in chapters 18 and 19, he, he does really well. He barely puts a foot wrong, really. But these verses tonight show us another side of the picture. He's not a perfect king. He acts in his own interest. He does what is good for him. He doesn't look to the Lord. You know, one of the reasons I, I really like Hezekiah is I find him very relatable and I'm sure I'm not the only one here who uh, has moments in my life uh, when things seem to be going really well and uh, I feel my, my walk with the Lord is really good uh, and uh, prayerful and joyous and it's great um, but then there are also other moments in my life where uh, I'm not being that at all where I'm not looking to the Lord Maybe there's a, a sin that's just getting in the way and it means I'm looking at myself, not at, not at the Lord. Just like Hezekiah, you could kind of paint two different pictures of me and, and maybe you're the same. A kind of positive picture, doing well, but also just that frustrating, oh, that is not what I want my life to be. You know, there's only one picture to paint of Jesus isn't there he's so consistent he's absolutely perfect in all that he does there's only one side of the coin you can't paint two different pictures that that's just who he is and so Jesus is the perfect ruler that the writer of kings is is waiting for hoping for and as he says not that one not that one or that one he's looking forward to Jesus who is absolutely the perfect king he is ultimately good he is right and fair he is self-sacrificial and generous and he's perfect in his relationship to God and he's perfect in his relationship to others as well he never puts himself first but he delights to sacrifice himself for others and we see that at the cross of course Jesus is 
the perfect king for us to serve under. So let us do that. Let us walk in his ways and keep our eyes fixed on him. I'm just going to finish up with some uh, amazing words from Hebrews chapter 12 that appear on the screen. Uh, I'm going to read these through. I'm going to try and read them through really slowly. And as I do that, maybe you could, uh, in your own heart, kind of reflect them and, and pray them and give thanks to God uh, for his amazing work in Christ. Uh, that you would ask God to, um, by his Holy Spirit, help you to have your eyes fixed on Jesus. There are so many distractions in life, aren't there? So many things that get in the way. But as I read this, let's refocus our eyes on Jesus. This is Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you won't grow weary and lose heart let me pray father god we thank you so much that you are the good god you are a god who is abundantly merciful and abundantly kind thank you that you give in excess of what we deserve even of what we ask for lord you are a god who abounds in faithful love and kindness and we praise you for that we worship you that you are that way Father God, we want to repent of times where we take our eyes off you, where we look instead to ourselves when the situations in our life absolutely overwhelm us. Father, we want to be like Hezekiah who prays to you and asks that his eyes would be fixed on you. Father, we thank you, you are merciful. You forgive us when we fall, as we do all the time. Father, we thank you that you are a kind and a merciful God. Amen. Amen.